Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Battleground Podcast. I'm super psyched uh, for the guest that we have today. He's an incredible guy. His name is his name's Eddie Lima. He's the founder of Stocking Mill Coffee. He's also a combat veteran. And I, I'm super excited to, to talk to him. I heard, I heard an interview with him. He's a patriot. He's someone who loves this country, who served this country. And now he's an entrepreneur building a business. Eddie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast with me, man. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Come on. I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, I've heard a lot about you as well. So I, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, gosh, you're welcome. I mean, so I, your story is fascinating to me because you're somebody that served this country. Um, and, and what I like to ask people who have served is how did you like what inspired you to jump right into service? So I was 17. And like every other young kid growing up in Florida, I wanted to be an NFL superstar. <laughs> and uh, it really came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to be an NFL superstar. <laughs> and I better start thinking of something better to do. Um, I think that I think that uh, we had like a career day. And a guy that was an airborne ranger came in and spoke. And uh, it was my senior year and told us the stories of Vietnam guy. And it was probably one of the few guys I ever looked at outside of maybe like my dad or, you know, uh, uncles or something. That I was like, hey, that's a man's man. I kind of pretty cool what he did. Um, my dad was served in World War II in the Army Air Corps and whatnot. So to see so, yeah, I was like raised in an Air Force family. Um, but to see this Army thing was a little bit different and I liked it. And I walked up to him after and I wasn't con- I wasn't 100 percent honest when I told him it, I was thinking about it pretty hard and I just looked at him and I was like, well, I'm going to be an airborne ranger. And uh, he looked at me with a serious face and said, son, you're going to shit and fall back into it. <laughs> and didn't even talk to me anymore. I literally just went to the next person. Uh, and then I ended up speaking to recruiters and uh, joined with a friend of mine who was uh, my best friend in high school and then went into the army. And uh, so it wasn't actually because, uh, I mean, I always like helping people, even in high school and stuff, but it wasn't anything other than I thought that maybe I would uh, become an infantry grunt, get bigger, get stronger, and then walk onto a football team at, at 19 or 21 and, uh, and be a football star. So that didn't work out. So <laughs> Eddie, what year, what year was all this? 89 is when I started. So Oh, my God, uh, man. I was eight. Okay, I know I'm old. Stop. I get it. I get it. That's why I usually have Nick because he's younger and handsome. You don't. You don't look old, man. You don't. You, you don't oh, look dude, old. I'm old. I am so old. It's not even funny, man. Like you know, polishing your boots, beating you old. You know. Um, and then. So wait, you wait. You got to. You got. I got to ask you. So what? Football. What? So did you play football in high school? What? So I played football in high school, but I wasn't great. Um, I actually was really better at basketball and got recruited for colleges. 
But I also knew I, I, it wasn't a love of mine. I just was, ended up playing it more than anything else, and I was really good. Um, and I just knew I wasn't going to get anywhere. I'm, I'm very, very, very competitive. So if you and I are sitting down, having a beer, drinking a coffee, and I see you maybe, maybe let's say you dip or something, right? I'm not saying you do, but let's say you dip. And I see you spit, right? And, I, and it, might, it may amaze me how far you spit. I'm going to make sure once you walk away that I can spit farther than you or practice until I can beat you. I, I hate being beat at anything. I'm super competitive. And sports was what drove me into that, I think. Um, and then the military, of course, too. I mean, everything's a competition, you know, like from the day you get in to the day you get out. And it's not even competing in, in, in PT. It's competing in, in connecting with people, uh, you know, doing your job, um, being noticed, you know, seeking promotion. With, you know, I mean, everything's a competition. Um, so I've always just been competitive, and, and that's what drove me. Um, service drove me more and more as you become, as you get longer into your career and you become teammates with people, build friendships, and uh, 9-11, and 9-11 drove me to keep staying. I I wasn't 100% sure I was going to stay at that point, Um, but it's, you know, it, it drove me too, so you grow in your career, you grow in why you're staying or uh, why you're serving. Uh, sorry, dude. I- no, it's okay. Not at 9-11, I, look, that was the reason why I joined. It affects me to this day. Clearly, it's just something that's emotional for you. Um, right. You said in the pre- when we were talking prior to going live that you're, you're, you spent a lot of time in New York, so I got to believe that that hit close to home. Yeah, I think, you know what, though? When you're in, you don't have the time to think about it. So you don't have time to process anything. And then growing up in Florida, uh, you know, and then retiring and literally moving to New York City where you can look out of your window, your, your bedroom window, and see Freedom Tower being built. <sighs> I wasn't ready for that, you know. Uh, it was tough, dude. What, you weren't ready uh, because... You were used to seeing the World Trade Centers there, the two buildings, and then now... I- Not even that. I just wasn't ready to... Uh, you know, like, after the attacks, obviously, I'd seen New York, but you're in and out in a flash. But to go there and, and actually interact with people that were there every day, you know, uh, my own family, you know, my wife, ex-wife, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, see how it affected them, but then every day... You actually are seeing the tower being built from your window. It, uh, it makes you think of everything else that happened after that. So then you're just literally going from service to processing, like everything that happened. Where where tough. were you when it happened? It sounded like you were still in the military when it happened. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, where you I were? was. I remember where I was. At, I was in Dilb Air Force Base when it happened, um, and. And then, you know, the process from there, as anybody that was serving during that time, it was just like, uh, I guess the best way to describe it was just like, like, like turn on the motors and go. Like, you know, just fast, build up, move. Um, and then, like I said, you, you know what happened, but you never have time to process it. Like, you're doing your job, you know. Um, and I think maybe, you know, if you think about it, it's maybe sometimes why you see great athletes when they win a championship 
like maybe especially in a sport where it's not even just like the championships, not like a one game, uh, like a Super Bowl. It's like when there's a long, hard fought series and you see guys like, I mean, in, in my days, you're like Bird and, and Magic and them and they fight to that, you know, and the toughness, like hitting each other when he smacks uh, Magic, smacks Isaiah Thomas in the, with the elbow in the championship. And then when they win, they break down like a baby because they didn't have time to process it during the fight. You know, like this is a fight. Fuck the other guy. We're going to kill him. Uh, you know, in, in basketball, we're going to get them or football. We're going we're to take them out. And this is a war, how everybody says. So all you're doing is you're fighting the fight. But then it's like after you sit down and you're like, wow, man, like that was a hell of a fight. And uh, you process your part of the fight. Then you get to the place where I want to say the fight uh, where it kicked off. But I mean, it certainly had a great deal to do with it. You know, 9-11, uh, New York City. And not being a, a New Yorker, being from Florida, um, to see how, you know, it affected the area, the people there. Um, it was it, it was it was it was tough. And you can't get the you can't get the, um, the you, you, you can get 9-11 almost for a second out of your mind. But you can't get your mind like all the events after it, like everything. Like you said, you joined after 9-11, like how many other guys like you did? Um so like all the lives that affected from the people that joined, um, you know, to people that joined and didn't come back, uh, to the people that joined and did and how their career path may have changed. If 9-11 never happened, would you be sitting here at a podcast right now? You know, I maybe think not, about you know? I, Eddie, I think about this every day. And it's so it's strange that our paths crossed on like and we're sitting here talking because I do think about that because. You know, 9-11 was a horrific day in our country, and really, it's a, it's a day that changed the trajectory of our country forever. I mean, it's just affected Absolutely. us to our, to our national identity, to our soul as a nation. I mean, for real. I mean, in the wake of 9-11, like the Department of Homeland Security, the Patriot Act, all of a sudden, the war on terror, we're, we're deploying all over the place. And so I joined, though, and there's another, and obviously, the thousands and thousands of Americans who were killed, and then in the wars thereafter, I mean, it just, just changed everything. And, but Absolutely. also, I, and you know, as I process this, because I mean, clearly, you're still processing 9-11 as someone who's who lived through it and serving through it. I'm still I still think about it every day, too. And I and I wasn't I mean, I was just a college kid when it happened. I mean, you were actually in. But it, what's what's there's also that if 9-11 didn't happen, I wouldn't have met my soldiers who I absolutely loved, wouldn't be in Afghanistan, wouldn't have the relationships that I had with them. And my Afghanistan tour was really tough. I mean, it was it was terrible. I mean, we were in combat all the time. But I also wouldn't have my kids right now. I wouldn't have met the wife that I'm with my my, my the wife that I'm with now is divorced. I was divorced, right. but like a lot of veterans who come back from the war. Um, but I still, my kids are like one of the best parts of my life. And now I'm remarried. I got a blended family. I wouldn't be where I am today. Without that experience, right. it's so crazy when you talk about processing it to think about it. I mean, gosh, it happened over 20 years ago now, but it still feels like it's right here. Right. Right. I mean, I think that uh, that that's one thing that when I, when I did retire that, you know, I, I did. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was sure that I wanted to continue to serve somehow, you know, like make a difference somehow. Um but when I when I retired, I, I knew that 
something that my dad had, had, had always did when he retired from the Air Force. Like, he wasn't the guy that walked around with an I served hat, you yeah, know. And right. This, and he, uh, I mean, he rarely talked about it, but he was proud of it, definitely proud of it. Um, and I thought that it helped him that he became successful. And I thought it helped, like, he, he told me, you know what, like, that was what you did in the past. It built you to who you are now. Don't rest on your laurels there because a lot of other people won't understand what you did or what, you know, like our, uh, our trainers did from Vietnam. Like people won't understand that. So you're here in the civilian world. So take the, what you got that means you, who you are and now become the civilian instantly. Like try to, you know, almost in a sense, try to shake it off, but proudly remember what you did. But like you have to acclimate, you know, just like you have to acclimate when you get into the military from a life a, a beat a teenager and having fun or, or if you join later in life you know or not being a military type person um, so you have to acclimate to being a civilian and a lot of people don't you know they don't understand it so they don't really want to hear it you know like you're here to start a whole new mission so like it's great that you have experience in this in the things in the past but how are you going to turn that into something now because now is when we're supposed to be living our good life you know we, like we fought the good fight now we're here where we love. How do we fight the good fight here? But, you know, you should live comfortably. You know, you don't want to, like, fight the, all the time. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of, like, shake that off and become a civilian with the morals and, and, and the backbone that you gained while you serve. And then it's put a mission so out true. and go at it. It's so true, Eddie, because, I mean, so many veterans come home and they just survive. And, and But what I'd, I'd like to see them thrive, and this is that's sort of what you just said. And I think part of it, so much of it, is that they, it, they can't leave that identity behind, and that's the way that they process it. And, 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 like, and, and the reason why that's so tough for so many people, I think, is like, like we're, we're trained to not leave anyone behind. I mean, that's woven right. into the fabric of who we are. So to leave those memories behind, are you leaving the people that you lost behind? Are, you, are we leaving their legacies behind? I think that's all part of the reason why some guys get stuck. Um, really, not guy, men and women, but you know what I mean. It's just um, right, right. It's tough. And, and I think you're right. Like most civilians who've never served, who have no connection to the military, they don't really know what it was like. And you, so you have this, this movement from guy, like speaking just from experience, you know, you serve in a, you go from serving in the best military on the face of the planet, uh, in a prestigious warrior culture where being the best, as you talked about being competitive, where being the best means something. And, you know, say you're the best mortarman in your battalion or something. And, and you're relied upon to protect people's lives, you take pride in that. And then that, say, that very same Mortiman gets out of the military, retires or whatever, uh, after doing a career. And all of a sudden, you've got some employer looking you in the eye and being like, well, I got some entry level. But if you're like, flip burgers at Burger King, and not that there's anything against that. I got nothing against someone who would make a living doing like that. But like, not you see the existential man. movement of like going from being a prestigious warrior to coming home to a society that doesn't really understand, that doesn't really understand what you went through, doesn't understand warrior culture, and they got you being a cashier or something. It's, it's just hard for right. people to make meaning of that. It's so... How have how have you been able to do it? Because clearly you've been, and I, I I have a ton of respect for, you know your your father who said, hey look, you know I I got the habit I, I served I'm super proud of it, but it's not 
everything that I am. And it seems like you, right. you're like that too. So when I retired, I did, like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was new to New York City and I just started going out every day into the city, checking things out, seeing, you know, getting a lay of the land. I also didn't want to be the fat veteran that after, of course, you know, like we don't work out anymore <laughs> yeah. and grow your beard and get fucking huge and, and that's it. So I didn't really want to do that. So I joined a <laughs> boxing gym. Yeah. I, so I joined a boxing gym and start boxing there. I love boxing. Uh, I ended up starting working there. Um, and listen, it wasn't even for, it, you know, at first there is good money in it. You know, in New York, if, if you know how to train somebody, you can make $150, $200 cash an hour training somebody. Um, and I'm a competitor. So obviously if I got into it, you know, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I did. Um, I got it. You know, I, I got it on TV. I was on million dollar listing New York as a trainer. A um, couple other shows. I was timeout New York. We had one of the better classes uh, actually for the new year edition, like the best class in New York to come work out in, in the financial district. Hmm. And it wasn't fulfilling um, it was giving me an opportunity to meet people. Um, and it all started just because I wanted to stay in shape and box basically, you know, and, and then the guys like, Hey, you can work here. And then being a competitor, you know, you gotta be better than anybody else. So if you work there, you have to make sure. And I'm talking about working with guys that are middleweight champs and training people, you know, of the world at the time, there's people there at this gym. And, uh, so I, you know, I did good and, but it wasn't fulfilling. And so I think a lot of times that when you get out, you not knowing what you want to do, a lot of people become stagnant and say, I'm just going to sit around and wait for something to happen. And I just didn't want to do that. So when I got to the idea of like, this is not what I really want to do, I just had to think of something else. Um, I got into fishing, you know, just because I love, I grew up in Florida, bass fishing. And then a company reached out to me that was veteran owned. And we start talking there and say, hey, we'll, we'll sponsor you as a coffee company um, if you promote us on Instagram. And I was like, why not? I'll do it. You know, you're veteran owned and stuff like that. And I'm not going to mention them, but they're a good company. Um, and uh, after a while, the person said, hey, listen, I, you're doing pretty good for us on Instagram. And it was just a fishing account. That's all it was. I, uh, and like I said, you know, falling into it, trying to find something to do. I didn't stay stagnant. I just kept moving forward. And he says, I'll partner up with you 50, 50. I already got roasters. I know I have a great product, which he did. Um, and you have a way of connecting with people. He said, he's like, so we can partner up and go. And, uh, we did. And at first I didn't want to, cause I didn't like the name of the company. It was kind of like, it, it was toward Navy people. And like, I mean, listen, if you're trying to reach an audience, if you're trying to make a voice, and, and that's what stocking mill to me is more than anything is a voice. Um, you can't like exclude people. And I just told him, Hey, you know, like you're just focusing on Navy people. And it's the same thing that we were just talking about, like resting on your laurels and you know, like it, it, I didn't like the idea. And he was like, well, you could start name it, whatever you want. And we, you could market it and whatever. And I'll just roast the perfect coffee and we'll start that way. And we kept going and going and, it started to grow and we took on a partner that uh, I probably shouldn't have. Um, and we were on social media. We, we made a great product. Um, I'm a coffee lover, as I'm sure most people, not maybe everybody, but most people that serve 
dude, coffee. Love coffee. Like, you know, I love coffee. Yeah, of course. I mean, teen pots, first thing that gets packed, you know that. So um, <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, what happened was on social media, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but I think when I bring this up, you guys remember the time frame. It was obviously over three years ago, but Alabama had changed some sort of law uh, where they made it a lot harder to uh, get an abortion. And I saw some retired PAO tweet with pretty big following that he'd never go to some event in Alabama again and speak if, um, if they don't change the law. And I'm that company saying, obviously, I'm you know, partners with a few people. Um, but I was the original starter of that company. Uh, I was just like, I'm, I'm a social media guy. I'm going to speak my heart because I'm trying to create a voice. And I said, hey, listen, I don't know if you know Alabama too well, but nobody wants you down there anyway, dude. Like, that's not the place to be telling people to do that. And I might have said it in a little bit more harsher of a, a way. And, you know, what happened was we had a great day. You know, we've got followers, interacted with people. Gosh, I have so many questions. So as I listen to you talk, Eddie, the the phrase that keeps popping into my mind is take action. It sounds right. like so you got out of the military. You had a very and, and like you were we were talking. We were 11, like you were 11. Bro, we were both in the infantry, started out in the infantry. So we're combat arms guys. We take pride in that. Um, our mission was. You close with and destroy the enemy, find, fix, finish. So much of your job being in the infantry is just taking action, taking action, taking action. And and like as a young officer, and I know as a young non-commissioned officer, it's like, hey, look, I don't care. Just make a decision. I don't care if it's the wrong that's decision. It, make a decision. Execute. That's go, it. go, go. That's and it. it sounds like that's who you are now. And so you that's go from- operate. Yeah, but it's like, but so for you, you're going from one thing to the next to the next and just saying, just, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll take the opportunity. I'll and say you yes. You know what it is? I, I also, you know, I have a, my, my, everything that decision I make revolves around God. I mean, like, and sometimes you walk Samson's path. You know, Samson, when God told him, hey, you raise your kid this way, don't cut his hair, he's going to take down the Philistines. Well, he didn't have to go through losing his eyes and all the things that he did in order to accomplish that. He took his own path. And uh, I know God has something great for me, but you take your own path. And then he steers you. You keep yourself aware of your surroundings. But like you said, make a decision, go forward, but just do not stay stagnant. Don't sit around and wait for something to happen. And just continue to move forward. Like, what you're taught from the minute you join the military to the minute you get out, continue to move forward, like stop it. Hmm. And listen, and also, you know, don't ask for permission, just get it done. You know, like, uh, sometimes you don't have time to think it out. Sometimes you just, like you said, make the decision, go with it, suck it up. If you lose, like a lot of times we've done, you know, I spent $2,000 on Kona. I didn't know how to rent, uh, roast properly and threw the whole damn thing out almost until I finally found the proper way to roast it. <laughs> so, you know, listen, make the decision, but go for it and go for it. No thinking and believing that you're going to have, you're going to accomplish the, the task without any, and, and, and almost to an extent where don't think that anything can stop you because think that you're more highly trained, you're more highly motivated, uh, you're smarter, uh, and nothing's going to be, I mean, you just, you, you got to think like that because if you don't, you're not going to win. 
Um, hmm. and, and, and that's what we that's- did. And so the guy, anyway, he, he says, listen, hey, dude, liberal money is green, too. When this whole Alabama thing happens out, who was a partner. And that night I decided that I wasn't going to be a part of that company anymore because I can't have partners that think like that. Because I already saw the voice that we were creating. And to me, that was what was important. Like, you know, how, I mean, in a sense where if you're faithful with a little bit, God's going to give you more. So we were faithful with, like, keeping our our what we believed in and putting out that message. So now he's going to give us more. And I just knew that I couldn't be part of a negative team. Cause you know how it is when you get that one guy on your team, that's just negative as shit. And you want to duct tape him up and throw him in the back of the sprinter and drop him off in the middle of nowhere. Cause you don't want, you know, like to bring down the team, the, the morale, you know, that's everything. So I mm-hmm. said, you know what? I could do this better on my own. And that's why I started stocking mill. And I think also to be able to have, access to funds to help people, um, veterans, um, and, and patriots in general, uh, without begging for money. Um, and I think as we were talking about the idea of always moving forward, uh, and like having to fight through every single thing to get where you want to go, that that's almost why I called Stocking Mill, the story behind Stocking Mill, uh, the name of it was what drove me to say, Hey, you know, this is why I want to call our coffee company that because somebody that faced adversity um, in, in the hardest of times, but found a way to overcome and get the job done. Today, I want to talk about something that's been on the minds of many Americans lately, energy independence. With rising energy prices and geopolitical tensions, it's more important than ever for our country to be self-sufficient when it comes to our energy needs. And that's where Deepwell Services comes in. They're a company that's not only dedicated to delivering top-notch services to the oil and gas industry, but they're also committed to the goal of American energy independence. With their cutting-edge technology and expert team of professionals, they're helping to unlock new sources of domestic energy and reduce our dependence on foreign oil. But that's not all. Deepwell Services is also a great American company that's hiring like crazy right now. And they're not just looking for anyone. They're seeking out talented and hardworking individuals who want to join their team and make a difference. And with competitive salaries and benefits, it's a great opportunity to not only work for a patriotic company, but also build a rewarding career in the energy sector. So if you're looking for a job with purpose and meaning, or if you're simply passionate about American energy independence, then you should definitely check out Deepwell Services. Visit their website at deepwellservices.com to learn more about their company and career opportunities. Eddie, let me ask you, though, like so many people you talked about, you know, somebody, you know, a, a, a PAO who will go unnamed, but um at, you know, part of a part of a company saying i'm not going back to uh, to doing business or any more events in alabama because they passed a life or they passed a law that protected life right, right. A, a, exactly. made it harder to get an abortion or whatever um so many people though would have like they wouldn't have taken the stand that you did and say wait a second this doesn't really align with my values 
And because of that, I can't be involved with with this movement, with this company, with whatever. I think so many people in this country just go along to get along. And I guess what I'm getting to is for you to take a stand like that also means that like you're taking a risk because you don't really know like we talked about taking action and just never stop moving keep moving ahead even if one thing doesn't work out find the next thing where where does this come from in you that you're willing to just say nope doesn't this doesn't align with my values like i'm i'm moving out drawn fire on to the next thing i think one of my uh i think it comes from i mean i guess maybe one thing is like i've never been a follower of anybody like I always feel like you know a lot of people have that thing where you feel like you could always do something if you were just gave it a little time better than anybody else and then some people might say that that's bad to think like that but I don't I, I think it's wonderful to think that the believe in yourself and say hey if you know I could be a golfer if I would have put my time into it you know or so whatever it is um but I hate being just I just hate being defeated I I, I I want to win everything. So that's where it originally comes from, you know, like that drive uh, to, to like, want to get a voice out there. Another thing is, is, is you have to, like, choose a side. I mean, God says, like I said, everything is based around biblical beliefs for me, like how I operate my business, how I operate my life. Not saying I'm not a sinner or anything, but, I mean, these are the foundations that, that set me. Um, one scripture that stands out is, you know, choose your side today, who you're going to serve. Um, you know, when I was in the army, I didn't go to an army Navy football game and say, Hey, go army. I hope Navy does. Okay. Though F Navy, I hope they get (laughs) routed. I hope they get beaten to the ground. So, I mean, it's, it's competition and belief. Like you, you believe that what you're doing is right. And that because it's right, nothing's going to stop that. And my belief that God says, Hey, honor me honor my my beliefs and put me first and everything else will follow so i mean to me that's a godly thing like you know he blessed us with a business that was making money and he blessed us with a voice at that time to be able to say something and if i don't say that that voice will never grow i mean i think that a lot of people are afraid of confrontation i think they're afraid uh you know i was never the kid in high school that wore my varsity letter jacket to school. Like, I'm already on the team. I don't really care about that. I don't need to be accepted by somebody by, you know, from because I think we're cool together or I believe in this belief. I believe in my beliefs. You believe in yours. I'll stand for mine. If we could see eye to eye somehow in between, great. But if not, I'm definitely not going to go to your side or or even, like, admit that. Or we could just see it two ways. To, to me, there's only one truth, one way in my life and I'm just going to race at it as hard as I can to that. So but where did that come from, Eddie? I mean, were you, I mean, did, did you learn that from somebody? I mean, I, maybe I think my mom more than anything, like, uh, she was, even though my dad was like a logger and, you know, World War II vet or whatever and lumberjack, it, 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 my mom was just always move forward, move forward, you know, like, and not in the sense where you hear politicians say every day, you know, cause they got caught, with doing something like cocaine with a hooker or something like, Hey, from here on out, we're just going to move forward. And you know, everything's, you know, not that kind of move forward. In other words, like I suck it up, figure it the hell out and keep going. Like don't stop. And 
I mean, I guess I get that from my mom more than anything. And I guess um, it's normal to me, though. Like, I, so I don't know. But I, I mean, I see my mom's like that. Um, I think I became more determined when I became a Christian because it's a big world out there and we're fighting a spiritual war. So, like, you have to be focused and, and intent, you know, on, on completing your mission. And my mission is to do to do God's will. So, so how did your like, how did how did you find Christianity? How did you get on that path? Anyway, I, it's, it's kind of a long story. Um, I wasn't a Christian growing up. Uh, I asked, and I'll try to consolidate it into a little. No, take hey, take your time. Keesler. Take your time. All right, I was at Keesler Air Force Base doing some training. Um, I met a local from Biloxi that was uh, an attractive young lady. Asked her out, and she said, um, you can take me out, but you have to go to church with myself and my parents. Uh, I went to the church with them. Uh, the preacher had preached the word, and I wasn't moved or anything. Uh, I dug him. He was an Air Force guy, retired, um, preached. And at the end, when he was releasing everybody, he says, uh, just points me out of the crowd and says, you're going to preach the word of God to millions of people, like verbatim. And when I left, her parents looked at me, her father, I think, more than anything, was like, hey, listen, I ain't tell the preacher anything. Uh, you know, I didn't tell him that you dating my daughter. So, you know, he's like, I've never seen that before. And I'm not going to say that it moved me, but it it stuck with me for a second. Like, it was weird to me. I mean, it would have um, mo- <laughs> moved me. But, uh, you know what I mean by moved is now that I am a Christian, I, I know that people are drawn in by the spirit. And I just want to say that in my heart, I wasn't moved at that point. Um, I wasn't a, a person that didn't believe in a God. I wasn't dumb enough, in my opinion, to believe that this all happened from an explosion. And because I've seen explosions and nothing good happens from them. Um, so I, I, I just, I mean, that was just always my thing. I just didn't believe that, but I just didn't know. And I don't even think I looked into it. Um, so then a teammate of mine in, in, in state asked me to go to Connecticut. He knew that my mom was living in Connecticut and he was from there. And we were going to be there at the same time. He says, hey, you want to go to church with me? And this is like three or four months later. And he was a Christian. Um, but he wanted me to meet his parents. And it was in Middletown, Connecticut. And um, I uh, said, yeah, sure, no, why not? And I went there with him and had ex- the exact same thing happen with a totally different pastor that didn't, didn't know each other. Nobody knew what happened in Mississippi. So, like, I'm not going to say that it, it didn't move me, but it didn't move me where I wanted to become a Christian, let's say. But I, I, the hair on my neck rose when that happened in the church. And, and the same thing happened where the parents were like, hey, man, you know, and he said, I've never seen that before here. And then from that point on, I'm, I'm somebody that likes to look into things. So I, I start reading the book of Revelation. Um, and I think that the, the, what drove me to become a Christian was the book of Revelation. I must have read it like 200 times front to back throughout right after that happened. And I just kept reading it. And I don't know why that's the book I chose. It was just the first book that came to mind that I opened it up. And I don't know why I remember why. It intrigued me because to me it seemed to be a battle plan, uh, a mission written out, but letting you know you're going to win in the end, which I've never seen before. Like a guarantee. Like this is going to be some hard, a hard battle to be fought. 
Um, you, you have to stay together. You have to be a team. You have to fight together. You know, but in the end, you, I promise you, as the ruler of all things, you're going to win. And that was my take from it. And I think that's why I kept reading it. Um, and then what happened was I got off a, I, one night I'm reading the book of Revelation and, and it was speaking to how like two guys will come out of heaven. And, and at this point to me, it all seemed like a magical Disney thing, but intriguing, you know, like a, a good science fiction novel, maybe. Um, but they would come out in the end times. They preach the word of God. The one world ruler would come against them. And for 40 days and 40 nights, they wouldn't be able to be overtaken, you know. Um, but then at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, they would. And the eyes of the world would see them. And it kind of struck me right there because I had looked into the book of Revelation after I had read it so many times. And I knew that John was on a, the island of Patmos thousands of years ago writing this book. And I didn't get the idea. I didn't get the idea uh, of it till right at that point where how did this guy even fathom the fact that two dead bodies could lay in a street? Because it said that the guy would be, they'd be overtaken. And it says the eyes of the world would be able to see them in three days. Not the eyes of Jerusalem or wherever they were at, but the eyes of the world. And the investigation in my mind begins like, well, how is this possible that you could fathom this, you know? So I start to read about the Bible, not read the Bible, but read about it mm -hmm. while I'm continuing to read the book of Revelation. Uh, and I, in my mind, what, what I came up with was there's 66 books in the Bible and that 65 of them, if you're a Christian, you believe are God breathed, God inspired, like God just took over the spirit of somebody and wrote out what he wanted you to get. And through his infinite power, here it is in this time and age. But the book of Revelation isn't like that. Um, he literally showed John the future and told him, he, he didn't take him over and let him write through the spirit. He says, I'm going to show you a vision, write down what you see. And there was even one point where he was like, listen, don't write that down. You know, so it was a totally different book. And it also was the only book that ever said at the beginning, blessed are you if you read this. Um, so up to that point, that being intriguing, that how could the eyes of the world see this? And then, you know, like we're growing up in an age today where cash is being taken out of society. And the book of Revelation was talking about that. And I, I really couldn't fathom the idea of somebody 2,000 years ago thinking how would a cashless society occur? So now I'm more intrigued. Well, that, so now, that's what I wanted to ask you. So uh, how did you go from reading the Bible and then, and then obviously reading the book of Revelation and understanding that we're in a spiritual war in America here today? At that point, I had it. Okay, so I, I, at that point, I had it. But I'll show. I'll tell you how I got there. So it comes a night where I arrive somewhere on a bird, and I remember turning around when I left and looking at the guy through the glass of the bird and going and he, like this. Friends, a friend of mine to this day who's actually the driver, and going back to a team house that night to to read the Bible, and I start to read Revelation course again and it starts to speak of plagues in the end time and now knowing like I had just said that it was God saying to him hey listen I'm showing you the future describe what you see he describes a plague and in the plague and I had read this a hundred times and it just never hit me until that one moment thinking of the bird 
it says that he looks and the, this thing's released from the depths of hell or whatnot and that um, it has breastplates of armor that sounded like the hooves of a thousand chariots, you know, beating. And they had the face of a man. And instantly, I knew this guy, John's on the island of Patmos, looking at a vision of a helicopter. This is what he's describing. Because I had just seen it that day. Think of like the smell of the diesel fumes and all that, and the sound of the thump, thump, thump. 2,000 years ago, how would you describe a helicopter? Hmm. How, how else could you fathom that? Armor breastplates, you know, the power to hurt things from the tail of it. Uh, you know, so to me, instantly I knew this dude was seeing the future. Hmm. And like, because I'm, I'm, I'm in the present of what he's, the present time of what he's seeing. And it was at that point, I was now moved. And the more I continued to read throughout the next few weeks, the, um, the more I was convinced. I had been to church twice, so I understood the process of, of giving yourself to the Lord, you know, like becoming saved. So I did by myself. Um, and I continued to read. I remember uh, the pastor, the second one who had told me that said, hey, listen, I'm sorry, the first one who had told me that, who I had kept in contact with from the Air Force, had said, if you ever do become a Christian, he was like, don't be stagnant, he told me. He was like, like you're chasing this young lady right here, because he knew I was dating her. He was like, make sure you chase the Lord. And uh, I did. So some time had gone by, I was building myself up in the Lord. And the point that got me to realize that we're in a spiritual warfare happened where I was in a area with other teammates and I was sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I was getting ready to go to sleep. And it was 12 o'clock at night and um, Star Trek was coming on and everybody watches Star Trek at 12 o'clock at night (laughs) when they have free time. Uh, And what I would do at times was I would, you know, before the episode would start, I would pray. Um, And it happened that like I was starting to understand more about the Bible at that point. And that was one day where I decided to pray and fast. And not tell anybody, but, you know, just walk around, reflect on the things of God and fast. And so this I've only told a few people this story. So some people might think that it's, it's weird, but I'm just going to tell you. Let me tell you, let me tell you, Eddie, not this audience. So we, we've had people on here that have that have had similar experiences as you. So just just rock and roll, my friend. So I uh, am watching the show starts. And so I literally just lay back instantly as the show starts. So I'm so wide awake, still wired up from the day. And Star Trek starts and Captain Kirk's doing his thing or whatever. And all of a sudden it seems like I have two vacuums plugged into my ears. It's like a loud, loud, loud rushing of a wind sound. And um, I tried to jump up, but I couldn't move. And... Uh, I tried to cry out. I couldn't say a word. I couldn't even move my, my eyelids, dude. And so the first thing that came to my head was, like, is this like a biological attack or something? Like, but I wasn't in an area where I should have been worrying about that. And so then I'm like, am I having a heart attack? Like, is this what it's like to have a fucking heart attack? And this is it. It's time to go out. And I'm telling you, I'm trying to move, but I cannot move. And this it's rushing, win, 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 win. 
And so a couple more thoughts go through my head, like, this is it, it's over type of thing. But then I relaxed instantly. It's like, well, and, and the words in my mind, and I know this may not sound holy or scriptural or anything, was like, fuck it, I'm saved. Like, and I just felt good about it. And as soon as I relaxed and said that, it just went. So I had told you about the man that brought me to his church in Connecticut, who's a Christian. He contacts me the next day. And he says, dude, you know I'm not like this. He says, I don't ever like preach to you anything or say God told me this or God told me that. But God laid on my heart last night around 12 o'clock. So right now, as soon as he said that, the hair comes up on your neck. You feel the spirit. Uh, I guess is the best way to describe it. And he says a, book, uh, a verse from the book of John that the wind comes and you know not whence, where it comes from or where it goes. So is everybody that's born of the spirit. And at that point, broke down crying, as you can see, like, I, you know, like, when God moves on you uh, spiritually, it affects you physically too, man. Uh, so, you know, like, I, all I can say is from that point on, I just realized that it wasn't about you versus the enemy anymore in the flesh. It, it's way bigger than that. And if we continue to focus on the enemy being a fleshly enemy, we're not going to get anywhere because that's not the fight. Because when you feel the spirit move, then you realize what they mean or what the Bible means by we fight a spiritual warfare. So you have to expand your, your, your whole target package now. Like, you know, like put it together, see who your target is, and then expand on how are you going to fight the enemy in a whole different way. And, and, and the best way to do it, God tells you, he's like, you know, as one man, it's better for two people. You know, one man's countenance sharpening another. Team up. You know, uh, the, the, the apostles didn't receive the Holy Spirit until they got together, got into the upper room and prayed in one mind, one spirit. So teamwork is, is, is what it's all about. Something that we learned in the military was something that was a foundation before the United States even was a country because it was in God's word. Um, so, so now, so where, now I see, Eddie, uh, now I see, I asked you a question earlier of like, where do you get the courage to just say, okay, these views don't align with my principles. I'm out. Now it makes sense. Yeah. You have to be, whatever you're at, you got to be all in, dude. You know, like whatever side you're on, whatever side of the fence, be all in. Uh, you can't be part of, you know, the world and, uh, and part of God's kingdom. So you have to be all in and expect that what he says is true, that it'll be rough, it'll be tough, it'll be hard, but you're going to win. And like what person that served in their lifetime would ever not take that as, as like, how, of course it's going to get hard, but you're guaranteeing me a victory. You're literally guaranteeing me that victory. All I got to do is run the race. You know. Where does that faith come from, though? Because that takes a lot of courage going out on a limb. Like it's like in I hate to liken it to something like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, where he steps out onto the bridge, but thinks he's stepping out into a, a canyon, the depths of which can't be known. But it's a leap of faith. Where does where where did that come from for you, know, you? I think it came from I think it came from that night when that thing happened to me and. I felt the spirit. I felt physically, di and, and, and I just felt different, man. Like I, I, I almost felt 
invincible to this in, to the to the sense where as long as I followed his path, like his book, it's the, his book isn't the Bible isn't a book. Now that I've, I realize it isn't a book where a lot of people think it's a don't do this and a don't do that book. It's like this is how you do this, this is how you do that, and now you win in the end. And so with that whole you know, dude, when 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 something like that physically takes your body over to a certain extent where you can't move and you see all these things happen. And then the next day, a friend of yours, who you know is not like spying on you or like making this happen to you says to you, Hey, listen, and you already gave your life to the Lord and says, God told me to tell you this. Like, how can you, I mean, somebody could come up and show me Jesus's bones right now, but I couldn't believe it because I've seen every time I say, or anytime I do something that he says to do, it happens, you know, like, there, it's, it's a, you don't have to be a Christian to see the formula behind it. You know, like if you go out and you're a fat body and you start running and you start working out and you see your body start slowly getting into shape, nobody's going to tell you you're not doing it right because you see the fruits of the labor. And I see it every day from the day that happened on. Like whatever I touch turns pretty good, man. But like, you know, from training somebody in a gym to TV, you know, um, from starting my own little coffee shop to actually turning into a big voice. Um, it, it's, it's, you're faithful with a little, you get a lot. And I just believe it because I see it in progress every day. Like I see him working every time. The more you read the word, the more you see everything around you happening. You see that everything he says, it's a hundred percent true. You can't deny it. So if your father or the person that you worship is the person in charge of everything, you're, you're in good hands, man. It's like being Hunter Biden. You know, like you can get caught with coke or hookers in the White House or guns and you're good to go. You're not going to get in trouble, you know. So you're a winner in that sense. But with God, you're a winner with everything. And I know it's a cliche and a lot of people say it, but I physically see it. I mean, dude, we haven't spent a dollar on advertising and we've easily given away over $500,000 to this point to causes and stuff because we're faithful with the little bit people give us. We work through whatever problems we're going through. We get together, we team up, and, and God gives us more. Um, stock and mill, the name, I think, the foundation, and that was important to me because, I, you know, let's think about it. It's not as cool as fucking uh, Black Rifle. It's not, you know. If you're a guy and you go to a store and you see uh, a coffee thing say that says Black Rifle or... Uh, Pale horse or something to that nature. It's a, it's a cooler name. Stock mill. You think to yourself, what the hell is that? When we talk to people on the phone and place orders, they're like, you're stocking what? How? And you say, you know, stocking over your leg or something. Oh, okay, I get it. But it's a story that most people haven't heard from the revolution. That I think everybody should learn first. And it was the stocking mill gunpowder factory in uh, Glastonbury, Connecticut. And as we all know. Uh, Gunpowder and coffee is synonymous in the military. Let's think about it, right? You know, like we all call it, you have a cup of gunpowder, you know, like it's synonymous. And in 1777, while she's delivering, the wife and her, her one son are delivering gunpowder to the front lines from the Stocking Mill Gunpowder Factory to George Washington, the factory explodes and kills her husband and three other kids. Oh. Um, she comes back. She actually, they say, the story goes that she saw the explosion on the horizon. 
But as a woman in 1777 losing her family, I mean, that's just, that's a stumbling block, man. You come across like this is like not only you're fighting a war and you're supplying the troops, but you're also making a living off of that. I mean, this is where your food comes from and everything, trade and you know everything going on during the colonial times. And she's a woman, and during the colonial times, dude, I think it was a little bit harder to maybe start a business back then if you're a woman, you know. Um, she borrows money, rebuilds the factory, and continues to supply Washington the much-needed gunpowder because it was the highest quality that he needed to operate his cannons. And so we won the war. And you don't hear about stories like that. And to me, that's like the ultimate overcoming an obstacle, figuring it out in your mind. You know, how am I going to, like you said, like this happens. All right, let's not talk about it. Let's not have a, uh, let's not get in uh, a crew together to investigate what we can do in the future to move forward without it happening again. Let's just figure it out, fix it and keep moving, you know, and that's what she did. And that's what we need to do in order to get ahead because the more time that you sit back and think about what's going on and, I mean, you have to, of course, have a plan, but it's never going to go according to the way you want it. This store took over a year to open now. I'm sitting in here right now. We thought it'd be open in three or four months. I I complain about it, but I don't cry about it. I always figure a different way to keep moving forward, to keep it going and, and, and figure it out. And now we're like a couple of days from being like, certificate of occupation you're good to go get out of so here so so let me ask you this you're a pretty political guy you don't sh- or you clearly don't shy away from those beliefs is is does your spiritual right. battle weave into the political one you know it's it's it does because in a sense it whoever's in charge politically has uh, a hand on a way that they're moving the chessboard around and how your country that you're operating your business and your life and goes. So, you know, it has to, has to play a part. You know, um, I think I try to just vote for politicians more that like have more godly principles or, and, or more freedom based principles, because to me, freedom is what allows me to practice what I believe in. Um, and then to be vehemently anti uh, against people that are against what I believe in. I mean, I, I, I don't think that enough people speak out because they're afraid of the backlash that will come at them. And it doesn't even have to be a business, just a person, you know, to say, hey, you know what? I, I'd love to go. I'd love to go to, like, I'm a football fan. I told you I want to be an NFL star. I'd love to go to a football game, but, uh, you know, they kneel or whatever, you know, like some people are just afraid to take a stand because their other friends may say, Hey man, you know, you're this or you're that. And it's like, I can't really worry about what other people think about me because God told me this is how to act. So I have to feel like if he's telling me how to act and I'm doing it, obviously not perfect, but striving to be that, that I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing the right thing. And you know what? It's worked for me. Um, and I'm, I'm, it won't stop, you know. Uh, and I guess you also have to know that if you're, if you're a firm believer in the word that there's going to come a point where if I'm still alive, then they're going to shut our business down. You know, they're going to shut people down in their faith base. Um, they're they're, they're going to control everything because that's what the Bible says is going to happen at one point. And you have to accept that it could happen and that you could see some really rough times. But I mean, I think that. Anybody that served in combat, 
I think pretty much have gotten to like one of the lowest points that they're going to get to there in, in their life, you know, as far as a rough time. And I'm not saying that that's a, a harder time than somebody, a civilian having to deal with like a wife battling cancer or something like that. But I haven't dealt with that. So right. in my life, the hardest time might have probably been combat, you know, or, or, or being deployed for a long amount of time. Um, so, I mean, that's where that mindset comes from, you know. Um, where do you see the worst? T- tell me about America right now, Eddie. Where, where do you, uh, you say that? I mean, and I agree um, that we're in a spiritual fight and, and that fight isn't necessarily Democrat versus Republican. It's it's good versus evil i have i see it right do you think we're winning that fight um as weird as it sounds and i'm not trying to sound as uh, uh, to be defeatist um i don't think we're winning for sure um and I, I i don't i don't see where like sometimes i hear christians and i'm not saying i don't hope for it but i don't see like a great revival happening where we go back to a time where maybe God was more front in the lives of Americans. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I mean, and I know that may sound like pretty gloomy, but to me, like, again, you know, God promises us a bunch of things and he's promised us this is what will happen at one point in the future. And, you know, there'll be some pretty grim times. And, and then, you know, you'll go through, you know, however you believe it, you know, through the seven year reign, the Antichrist rule, the rapture, all these things, none of them sound good. Um, so it's, it's not like they're, they're great times or, they're, you know, there's a lot of plagues going on. Or there's like, you know, uh, famine. So it's definitely not a good future that you're looking at. But to me, it's, it's pretty awesome because, like, I know I'm going to win if I'm there when it happens, you know, if it gets to that point, because he tells me I'm going to win. And so the only thing that I could do is just focus that I've heard this before. And I use it a lot. Focus on the 800 yards around me. You know, change what you can change around you. Um, and then hopefully everybody else is doing the same thing. Be prepared for, for your family to, to raise them the right way. The admonition of God uh, to, to, to conduct your business that way. And, um, you know, to, to try to spread the word. Um, so, I mean, that's all that I could do. I don't think that we're going to win the battle. I don't think that we'll ever vote our way out of what's currently going on, as some patriots may believe, uh, of like, you know, losing rights uh, and all these things that are happening. So I don't think that there's a positive outcome coming in the near future. I don't think that we're going to have this great renaissance of American freedom, but I'll push for it and I'll fight as hard as I can to represent the value of that and, uh, to help others see that what else can you do you know uh, but then you have to think big you can't i mean so i think that's why i focus it, to try to do it as a company because as a company you're not begging for money um you're working for it honestly working so, hard for it that was my next question what what's the future of stocking mill coffee in all of this fight so, <laughs> so the future is uh it's interesting. You know, I'm going to take coffee back. There's an interesting story I read. The first coffee house ever in the city of New York. And it was built by John Hutchison prior to the Revolutionary War. And the cool part that I read right off the bat about it was 
um, he had been arrested for speaking ill of the king and put in prison for that. <laughs> um, and the other cooler parts that I had read was that, you know, he got out of prison for speaking against the king. And he continued to kind of push back against the king with the finances that he made through his coffee business. And he was successful. He brought he bought tons of land up and down the Hudson River. And, um, you know, in order to create change of any sort, you have to have finances. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, that's how it is. And everybody knows that. You ran for the Senate. Without finances, your voice doesn't get out there. Exactly. And what you have to come to the print, what you have to come a way to find out is how do I get that money without compromising my principles? Because a lot of people have a lot of heart and want to make a lot of change, and then maybe they run for office or something, but then they realize, holy shit, if I don't endorse this person or endorse this thing, which I may not totally align with or believe, I'm not going to get this this money. Um, and with me, I just figure, you know what? I've always been a hard worker. Uh, I, I don't ever want to be outworked. I'd be embarrassed to be outworked. You're not going to clean a barracks better than me. You're not going to clean a weapon better than me. You're not going to hunt down somebody better than me. I'm going to be better than anybody at what I can be at. And why not just start a business, earn it hard, earn the money? You know, you, nobody has control over that anymore. Like, nobody can tell you what to do with your money. Like, you could put whatever you, whatever you earn, you could do what you want with it. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to just earn money. And in a sense, what I want Stocking Mill to be is I want to be John Hutchison, you know, pushing back against the king. I want a coffee house to be a place where people can gather, exchange thoughts, come up with a way to, hey, you know, maybe like in, in this town, in Volusia County, maybe the people that believe in freedom come together. We pool our resources. We find out how we move local elections, you know, and you can do it quietly or you can do it out in the open, but just do it, you know, um, we have resources now because we have such great family. We don't have customers. We have family. Um, like, I just opened the door for the people to come in. We're not even open yet. I've had <laughs> people from Costa Rica to Kansas coming here already. And, you know, our family doesn't come in and buy coffee in the store and say, what's the in-store discount? I mean, dude, 90% of them come in. They say, I want a bag. Keep the change. Put it toward your next fundraiser for veterans. Or, like... The, like when we did something when Kentucky had the flood, so you know we help people out there and shovel mud, put it toward the next thing. So if you got a family like that backing you up, all you have to do is get your voice out there so that others can hear it. But if you lose focus and 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 make it become business first, you're going to crash like other companies do. Like you have to keep it, you have to keep to your principles from day one, and. Almost to me, I think that in today's world, you have to be a, maybe a little bit extra about it um, because you have to be heard. I mean, it, unfortunately, unless you make a, a, a commotion to a certain extent, nobody wants to hear you, you know. Um, but with more people behind us and, and everything in the voice we have, I, we're starting to get heard. And listen, I'm not saying we're changing the world, but if we can start to just continue to go at the pace we are growing like we're, we're, we're connecting with our local communities, using our money to almost, 
you know, help elections in a sense too, you know, like put money toward people that we believe in, help local people that say, hey, um, like the local VA nursing home, you know, I, we hooked up with them. I met a bunch of old cool guys there and now I go want to do poker nights with them and stuff. And, you know, we're bringing something into their life. And when you're sharing your life with them, you're sharing their values. When you share your values, you're, you're going to get a chance to hear where they're coming from politically. That's what everybody is about nowadays. Like, how often can you get into a conversation with somebody nowadays without almost within five minutes getting into a political, let's see which way this person goes, you know? So, I mean, that's the world we live in. So fight it hard, man, and fight it. And, 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 and don't think you're going to lose. Just be confident you're going to win. And we are winning to, like, around us. But in the, in the greater aspect, I just think that we're empowering other people to see that, hey, man, it's going to get rough. It's going to get tough. Let's team up. Let's get together and get each other through it together like we're used to in our military careers. But let's do it as civilians now. And, and that's the biggest part of stacking the mill and why we don't really push the whole military thing is because, listen, man, like half the people that come in here aren't military and they don't understand like that life. But, man, they're freaking patriots, dude. Like they give just as much to whatever cause that we do as anybody else. I've had dudes walk in here and say, hey, you know, I bought, I don't know if you know Clay Martin. He's a, an author and he was in the Marines, obviously, Green Beret brother, and he, he's a good writer. And he's like, I have every book that Clay wrote and I have, and he starts showing me pictures on his phone. I have these nods and I have this and I have that. And he's like, you don't know it, man, but you guys helped me through the COVID thing, listening to you guys on social media. Because I, I had a lot going on in my life. And I listened to you guys. And, dude, what's better than that? You know, somebody's, like, got through a hard time because of us shit posting on Twitter about <laughs> our true beliefs. You know what I mean? But, but what we truly believe in. Um, and, and there's nothing better than that. I mean, to me, I'd rather have more people walk in and say that to us than say, hey, you know, you got the best coffee in the world, which I think we do. But... To, I'd rather more people say that. And I think that everything else follows after that. Like your business is going to continue to grow. So you're going to have more money and you're going to have a larger voice and more people are going to want to get involved in the things that you do. So, you know, I want to be the company that shows up at like uh, an event that's not going to be a setup by the government to get us all in trouble, but to, to support somebody that may possibly be fighting for our freedom or our next thing that we're looking to do is, is buy a church. There's tons of churches for sale. Why give up ground? Why should I rent an old McDonald's here and lease an old McDonald's right here, Beachside in Daytona, when I could buy a church and turn that into a, a roast house, a, a, a place of worship? I mean, when Jesus spoke, what did he do before he spoke to people? He fed them. He gave them water. He gave them a place to sit down and relax. And then he preached the word to them, you know? Um, so we're looking into that. Like, we don't want to give up any more ground. And we're just going to use our finances to continue to promote freedom as much as we can, uh, however it may be. And hopefully in, in ways that, that, that matter more than the average company does. Hopefully, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's going to a hurricane area, helping somebody out or, you know, like going to a place where maybe there's a riot and things are getting torn down. And we're like, you know what, we're not going to let this happen. Peacefully, you know what I mean? In a smart way, if possible. But people have to band together. And I think somebody always looks for 
somebody to, to make that first move, you know, like who's going to be the first guy to set this off, you know, um, yeah. and start it. And I don't know a, a better way to start it than start your own business, make your own money, follow God's word, and then let him lead you to see where that change you can, what change you can make and how it occurs. Man, Eddie, thank you so much for, for coming on and giving us your time today. You are a, um, you're a patriot. You're a true believer and you are, you are a man on a mission. Uh, tell, tell, before we get out of here, tell us, tell this audience, you know, where they can find you and what they can do to help and join your family. Well, I mean, obviously on the internet, uh, stock mill coffee, um, and com. you can look us up. We, we ship everywhere, APOs at all over the, you know, all over the U S the world. Um, and you don't have to be a coffee drinker. I mean, you can just be on social media. And if you believe in something that, uh, that we say regarding freedom or regarding the Bible, Hey man, retweet it. Like, you know, signal boost us, let the, the voice out there, uh, that there are companies that have your values that aren't thinking bottom, bottom line first. Like they're thinking more, let's do something cool and let's make a change. You know, um, voice is just as important as, as patronizing, you know, patroning, uh, being a patron of us. Um, so, I mean, that's really all you could do. Pray for us. That's even another big thing. Like pray for us, man. Like, you know, that our voice is heard, you know, and what I mean by our voice, not just stocking mills voice, but the whole family that's involved with it. I mean, I believe if you follow what we say on Twitter and you believe in our values, then let's team up. You know, if there's something that you need done in your neighborhood that uh, you don't think that you have the voice to do, you do. We're a family. Give us, you know, shoot us a DM, shoot us an email. Um, We're we're on Twitter. We're bigger on Twitter than anything else. Uh, We're on Instagram, Stocking Mill Coffee. Um, I'm not, though I do do most of the tweeting, I'm not big into, I don't like social media as much as so many people may think um but it is a way to get the voice out there and, and you have to utilize what god gives you um so i try to do that um but emails dms you know following us on those uh we're, we're, we're in daytona stop by say hi i mean we'll sit down we'll make you some coffee we'll talk um if there's something that you think that we can help you do maybe financially uh, we have a great backing where we raise money fast for things like you know uh like there's a group called Phantom Airborne Brigade here where they do jumps, airborne jumps into the water with paraplegics and quadriplegics. And we've teamed up with them. They're a great organization. Uh, you know, and, and, and you can go down there, be a part of that. Watch just how we help people there. It's doing anything that we do with politics. You know, like, like I say, like if you, I don't know, if you're deciding to run again, maybe we'll, <laughs> we can help you somehow, you know? I mean, like, look, you always got to stay in the fight, dude. You know, not every... Listen, I, I mean, I went from doing TV training to bass fishing to now actually having a very successful company, gratefully and thankfully, um, in coffee of all things. So, I mean, you don't give up. You just keep pushing forward and, and, and find where it's going to happen. You know, I, I can easily see you running again. People are getting sick and tired of, uh, and winning, hands down. Because wow. I, I, People are getting sick and tired. Of <laughs> well, stuff, we'll dude. see. I, I mean, you never know what the future holds, like you said. But one thing I can guarantee you, the motto of this of this show um, is never quit, never surrender. So I am That's completely it. on board with your mission. Um, yeah, man. You ever seen the movie The Kingsman? Remember that? You know, the, yeah. Uh, and, and so imagine you have the resources 
behind yourself to do the things that they do in, in a different world, like in our real world today. You know, uh, I mean, resources to create a change for the well. I know it's a, a movie of fantasy and fiction, but I mean, and, and, and it may be beyond somebody's idea and grasp, but there's people in the world with the finances to make change today and the drive to do it. And that's all you have to do. I mean, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to make a change before I die somehow. And, and I think we're slowly doing it. And I think, you know, people with the personalities in the background like yourself, uh, they'll do it too. And, and as long as we support each other and team up and always think about each other and, 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 and never try to do it on our own and realize our limitations like, hey, you know, I can't do this, but I know somebody that can do this. We're going to team up and do it. I think that we can make a, a, a pretty decent change no matter how the world goes in the future. And, and, and that's all that we can do, you know? Well. Eddie, thank you for your time today, brother. Um, keep us updated, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more after the show. But in the meantime, man, thanks for coming on. God bless you, and um, we will see you soon, man. All right, dude. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's been an honor to be on your show, man. It's the first one and probably the last one I do. I think Nick will do the future <laughs> ones. So you don't have a sobbing, a sobbing old Tom Selleck wannabe like, <laughs> crying about the past or something, but – uh, you know, like, uh, I appreciate it more than anything. For yeah, time. you got it, man. And it's awesome. Yep. We'll talk to All you right? soon. All right, everybody. That is it with Eddie Lima, the CEO of stocking mill coffee. He's also a special forces combat veteran. A lot of leadership lessons in that one. <laughs> I mean, man, oh man, Eddie is one of a kind. Um, as always, you know, like subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts leave reviews screenshot the fact that you're listening and send them to me on social media so that i can share them we're doing everything that we can here to build a movement and you are part of that movement and ultimately this show is for you it's all about you um and also go to official sean i mean look at got brand new t-shirts there check it out right there uh we're rolling out slowly but surely uh, a, a new company called battleground apparel company it's a lifestyle brand for people who truly believe uh in in the mantra never quit never surrender people who are relentless and we want you to be a part of it and the shirts are just emblematic of, of something much bigger than ourselves so go to official parnell.com to and head to the store Grab yourself a couple of t-shirts. I think they're awesome designs. Um, after hosting the Wendy Bell radio show last week, I mean, we're, we're almost sold out. Uh, so get them while you still can. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening this, to this show. Uh, God bless you all. And God bless this amazing country that we live in. Take care. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.